God whose truth extends beyond the range of our questions and whose mercy reaches farther than our largest mistake. Hear today the inquiries of your people. Have compassion on us and meet us at our point of understanding. Reveal to us once more your reconciling love, that it may illuminate our earthly journey so that it may help us to see and appreciate the life you intend for us. Amen. Yesterday, after I had sat and wrote my sixth version of this sermon, I decided to get up and uh, engage with my, my family because I still was not settled with the sermon. It still rang inauthentic. And as we were sharing a meal and engaged in conversation about life's current highlights and challenges, it dawned on me that I had been preparing for this time with you, that I'd been studying what other scholars and what other theologians believed that the scripture says and how they believed that I should present it to you. And what I realized is that I had distanced myself from the text and what it means to me and how it's relevant in my life, and how it might be relevant in yours. In essence, I became unavailable. Thankfully, spirit whispered spirit to spirit and said, you know, they don't care what theologians you study. What they care about is how you know God, and how you can share that understanding with them. I have to claim my own truth here and be honest in front of you. I had spent hours and hours and actually weeks and weeks scouring over conservative and progressive takes on this text because I wanted to try to carve a path that would be inclusive of all people and all perspectives, so much so that it had become lukewarm and meant absolutely nothing. It did not honor the God that I know and I serve. So as I say to people with whom I am in other ministries with, I can only tell you what God has revealed to me. And what God has revealed to you is as true as what God has shown me. And only in the sharing of what God has shown you to me and me that God has shown to you can we become any even close to comprehending the totality of all that God is. This particular passage of Scripture for many people, theologians and lay alike, it's considered to be the gospel distilled, and with very good reason. I believe that it shares 
the very heart of God. Lord offers us grace. So this text means to me simply this. God loves us so much that God seeks a healed and reconciled relationship with us individually, in community, and in the world. I believe that Jesus came to show us a pathway towards reconciling humanity's relationship with God. All humanity. The text says, I and I believe God doesn't condemn the world. But God constantly seeks to save it. I hear your questions. So, Vicki, what about the following verses about condemnation of those who don't believe? My understanding of the text, John was intentionally calling out or pointing fingers at the Sanhedrin's council and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They had corrupted the letter of the law and the spirit in the law. The manner in which they nitpicked the law for some and turned a blind eye for others had turned them into oppressors of the very people that they were to govern and care for. John was pointedly calling them out about their shadowy dealings with God's people. He was calling them out about their part in Jesus' execution. But I have to go back to John 3.1 so that you have an idea of why I believe that the text can be interpret it this way. John is intentional about his use of dark and light through his entire gospel. In this particular case, he chooses as Jesus' foil Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin Council. He was a teacher of the law himself. Then God then John has Nicodemus arrive at night. Why? Because John likes to set the scene. Nicodemus, agent of darkness. Jesus, light of the world. And second, he wanted us to understand what was real for Nicodemus, which is that he didn't want to be seen meeting with Jesus, but simply he was afraid. Now, whether he was afraid that he would be seen meeting with Jesus to find out what Jesus' intent was, or if he was afraid that his friends would see him and wonder why he was meeting with Jesus, we're not told at the beginning of this story. Nicodemus begins to address Jesus in a, a cocky kind of manner because, you know, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. So he says, uh, Rabbi, um, you know, we recognize that you are indeed a teacher of the gospel and yada, yada, yada. And Nicodemus wanted Jesus to know that he had been the topic of discussion. Now, whether that was a threat or 
Nicodemus wanted to let Jesus know that he perhaps had supporters on the Sanhedrin Council. We're left to speculate about, but John tells us that Jesus shuts Nicodemus down quick, fast, and in a hurry. Jesus says to him, no one can see the dominion of God unless they have been born again or born from above, as some translations say, meaning born of the Spirit. Jesus was trying to get a read on Nicodemus' intent in this meeting. And he also wanted to know what Nicodemus' theory was behind his interpretation of Torah. Jesus was asking Nicodemus, so how is your spiritual life? How's your walk among God and God's people? Do you even have a clue to what is breaking out before you right here and right now? When Nicodemus answered, well, how can one be born again? Jesus knew in that instant that there was a work to do in and through Nicodemus. Because you see, Jesus came to reconcile Nicodemus's relationship with God as well. There is no one beyond reconciliation with God. I believe that the reason that John ties the healing image of the lifted bronze serpent that cured the people of the Exodus with the exalting of Jesus' life and ministry is simply that it conveys that Jesus came to bring healing of God's relationship with all of humanity. I've seen God's reconciling work just last Sunday. I had the privilege of being in Selma as I celebrated the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. And I watched as Jews and Gentiles, Hindus and Sikhs, Muslims, all marching on one accord. I saw people who were still on paper and people who were free. I saw people across the entire gender spectrum, from male to female, marching in one accord. There are not words to describe the presence of the sacred and the holy as 80,000 plus crossed that bridge. And what gives me the most hope? The children. There were children being pushed in strollers there were young people just learning to walk. And there were young adults who were advocating for the reconciliation of all people in this world. God is yet reconciling us. I believe you can see from the scripture the relevance in your own life. I don't have to tell you that. No matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, 
or doubt, you're still inside the love of God. Doesn't matter who you love. Doesn't matter who you hurt. Still loved. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That is an eternal truth. And I also know for certain that for many of us, we have been told to live in fear of God instead of in love with God. You've been warned to keep your distance from God instead of embracing God fully. You have been told that God is out to get you instead of that God is seeking to find you, to bring you in. And that is an injury that only an authentic relationship can our Lenten study, Everyday Miracles, challenges us to move from those places of fear into a loving relationship with the one who loves us most. It doesn't require sacrifice, but only wants what is best for us. What if we considered trusting God enough to let go of that fear, that fear of the angry God that we've heard about? What if we let go of that fear that we are not living up to other people's expectations of what we need to do to be in relationship with God? What if we gave up condemning ourselves? condemning others. Imagine how that kind of love would feel. Imagine how your life would change. Distilled, greatest love.